If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's podcast, I have Fiona. Fiona has a gorgeous four-year-old Sienna who she conceived with a donor sperm and donor egg. She had to go to South Africa to receive treatment as it's not something that's easily available in Australia. So I hope you enjoy learning all about what she went through to get her gorgeous daughter. So welcome today, Fiona. I'm really, really excited to have you on the podcast for this episode. And I thought we'd just get started with how about you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what led you to go on this wonderful journey to become a solo mum by choice? Well, currently I am uh, 46 years old and I um, have a four and a half year old daughter. Um Sienna is double donor conceived. Um, so I used both an egg donor and a sperm donor. And I went overseas. So I went to Cape Town, South Africa um, to get her, as I like to say. I think this is going to be a really exciting story of how you got to the point of having to go through such a journey to, to get her. So why don't we start from the beginning? When did you decide, I guess, that you were going to become a solo mum by choice? Well, I guess compared to a lot of other people, a lot of other ladies with their stories, mine was relatively late in the game and um, kind of skipped over a lot of parts of the process that many other women have gone through. Um, so I, like so many, had been in a relationship in my 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was trying to remember before how long, I think it was maybe four years. Yeah, it was okay, but that's what we kind of settle for when we're in our 30s and we're yeah. wanting to have children. Um, and so anyway, that finished when I was about, I'm going to say about 38. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I want to become a mum. So I'd never, ever considered being a solo mum. I'd always just assumed I would be partnered. And so I tootled off to my GP just to say, what are my options? I'm, yeah. you know, I think by that time I was 39. Um What's what are my options? No idea what I'm looking at. No idea what anything is. I had no idea about the whole concept of being a solo mum by choice. Um, and she said, "Okay, first thing we're going to do is we're going to run a couple of tests just to see what's going on." So the first thing she did was, um, yep, 
run all those lovely tests and I'm trying to remember all the terminology. It's seven years ago now. So but like my AMH levels and all that AMH stuff. levels were low 0.8, mm. something like that. So 49 39 AMH levels of 0.8-ish um single. And so my GP had a really, I'm very grateful to her. She'd been my GP for a very long time. She had a very honest conversation with me. She said, knowing you, knowing your situation, I am going to say that you will not be able to have a child naturally. Sorry, this is still a very, very, it was a big conversation for someone who'd always wanted children. And she basically said, you're never going to have a child naturally. That would have been really hard to hear. Especially so early on in the journey of trying to. Yeah, well, because I, yeah, I didn't know anything. I'd not had any other tests. This was, you know, you just kind of quite happily skip through um, being a teenager and being in your 20s and your 30s thinking, oh, yeah, I can have a baby when I want to. Um, And then suddenly you're told, okay, fair enough, I was 39 years old. But to be told, not a chance. She said, being, she said, I'm not even going to suggest you do IVF. Wow. To even try your own egg. She said, I'm not going to put you through that. She said, financially, emotionally, she said, I cannot recommend that for you. Um, she said, I, I am just going to recommend that your best option is egg or embryo donation. That's, that's so early on to be getting that sort of information. I can imagine how overwhelming that was for you to even just process. Wow. Completely, because I had no idea about the world of fertility specialists and any, anything else. So it was a big, you know, I just went in there to get the, my test results and two minutes later to find out that I was never, she was telling me that I would never have a child. And I'm like, oh, that's just an absolute stab in the soul, in the heart, in the everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember sitting there crying and she crying as well. It was a very big, big emotional appointment. I then went off just to let all that filter through. Mm. Um, she briefly touched on egg and embryo donation in Victoria. Um, and she was talking about how it is a hard process to go through. It's hard to find. A lot of people have eggs and embryos frozen that they're probably not going to use but they don't often donate them and that whole process is a very complicated and involved process again being 39 single average wage I didn't have access to that those resources that wasn't Mm -hmm. I didn't have much on my side so I then went off and tried to make peace with that news which is always a hard thing to do in the back of my mind, I knew of a, a friend. Um, she and her husband had been trying IVF for a number of years unsuccessfully. They went were going across to South Africa to use an egg donor. So I knew of that process. I knew just purely by chance this good acquaintance was going through that process. Awful for them, but like maybe a blessing for you because so many people wouldn't be exposed to anything to even consider that this would be an option. Exactly, that you get on a plane and you fly over and for a holiday and get knocked up. Um, in a very <laughs> so romantic. Very, very, very simplistic way of explaining it. Um, and so I knew of, of that happening and some of the very um, basic positives about that process and that experience. Um, but I also knew it cost money that I didn't have. And so I was trying to wrap my head around that. And then a couple of months later, mortgage price, uh, house prices in my area improved. Mm-hmm. And so I actually remortgaged um, my home. 
and got oh. out some extra money. So that's how I did it. I did a bit of a renovation. Um, and it was actually when I was talking to the bank about my renos that I was planning and, and the, and the woman said, you know, you might want to take a holiday. And I'm like, Hmm, a holiday, maybe a holiday to South maybe Africa. I could do a holiday to South Africa and try for a baby. Um, so, so that's literally how things started falling into place for me. The way it was sort of once explained to me was that for someone in my situation, and which is also a very similar situation maybe to gay couples, mm-hmm. um, where you've been told or you are aware that there is no option. Yep. Full stop, you've been told no child at all. That's just not part of the plan. And so suddenly then there's this possibility. Mm. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to give that a try because I can't not. I've already resigned myself to the fact I'm never going to have a child. Devastating it is. Uh, I'm simplifying it quite a lot, but it was quite a heavy, dark time for me. Um, Very much literally what is the point of my life? You know, here I am at 39, single, no child, what you know, what, what is the purpose of my life? So that was, you know, I'm not, I'm not glossing over how hard that was um, and how it's not talked about enough and people don't understand. So Mm. that's sort of a whole, whole thing in itself. So to be then given this option was like, okay, look, I got to give it a try. I can't, I can't not give it a try. And so that's how then I started putting things into place. And did you end up using the same clinic that you're in South Africa that your friend had used? So you had kind of the referral yes. and you didn't have to do too much, I guess, of the, the research in that way because you had her research no, to use, which is great. Exactly. And I, so I literally did zero research. Yeah. Um, you know, since then I found out so much, so much more. <laughs> uh, I found out about so many people going over to Greece and to parts of Europe for eggs, going to uh, America for eggs. Um, I found out a lot more. Um, and but South Africa and Cape Town and this particular clinic in Cape Town is very popular for Australians and New Zealanders to go to. Um, it's kind of that if you ever hear of anyone going to South Africa, this is where they go. This right. is the clinic they go to. When I was there for my treatment, I was sitting in the waiting area and it was spot the Aussie. Uh, because there was like, okay, they're Aussie, they're Aussie, they're Aussie. Yeah. So it was it was very much a, that was the the medical purpose, the the joint, the the trip purpose was for medical reasons. I think in some ways, if you had known about all those other options when you made the decision, it would have been probably quite overwhelming to work out which one to take. So by having this is my option, this is what I do, it made it a little bit more simpler um, mentally. I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> it's, it's, yes, exactly. And so that's why I really I, I acknowledge that I have not gone through any of what so many other women and solo mums have gone through. I haven't had to go through a retrieval. I haven't done any of that. I've not felt those feelings. So, and I'd not even really been aware of it until I joined this community and sort of witnessed it in others. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I had a very simplistic lead up to falling pregnant. Uh, it was from that perspective, compared to a lot of other women and what they'd gone through. Um, but at the yeah, same time, I, you went through a massive emotional journey before that point. So yes, I don't think anyone... Yes truly goes through an easy journey to to go oh, through no. it's all it's yes everyone's different so it's great if we can share lots of different stories so there's something exactly exactly and say this is this is what my experience was yeah because you're right they're all so different so you just went over and 
what turn up at the clinic and they just knocked you up or <laughs> how does that work? Did, did you so, have to correspond with them a lot beforehand? Did you get to choose yeah. the donors and all that? Yeah, sort of so stuff? when you're doing it overseas, it's up to you to coordinate everything. Okay. My GP nominated uh, or recommended fertility specialist here in Melbourne mm-hmm. and that was because I did need a Melbourne specialist to be able to run some tests before and to give me my medication beforehand and then look after me just when I got back. But the protocols were all being suggested by the clinic in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially to find the egg donor and the sperm donor, so it's a completely anonymous process. Um, it is not ID release. It is completely anonymous in South Africa. Um, they have the, let me get this straight, the sperm donor I chose via the clinic I went to. Mm-hmm. They, their lab had a list of sperm donors and I could choose by there, the egg donor. There's there's um, a number of egg donor clinics uh, agencies over in South Africa, and so um, I just went to the four or five recommended by the clinic I went through. I got access to their database, and it was like doing online dating. <laughs> you scan through the profiles. You can search them um, by age, height, hair color, education, all of that. Um, for both donors, I end up with literally four pages of information mm-hmm. as provided by them. Um, I have photos of them uh, oh, wow. up until the age of five. So for yeah. this egg donor, I've got maybe four photos up until the age of preschool. Uh, the, for the sperm donor, I've got one photo. Well, that's okay. nice because Victoria, you don't give photos. so Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So it's just to give a bit of a vague um at least, at least for the egg donor, I had four photos and so sort of showing from a young child the first couple of years, but that was that was always sweet to look at. Um, so, yeah, so I, I chose, my priority was to give myself the best chance possible. Right. So whatever my um, filtering was, they always had to be young. I mm-hmm. did not want, you know, I was old enough as it was. I, <laughs> I needed young donors. I wanted that to go in my favour. Um, I was trying for... Uh, you know, considering a lot about the nature versus nurture debate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought, okay, well, let me at least go for a child that's maybe a uh, brunette with green eyes, Caucasian. Uh, there's a lot of tall people in my family. So I thought I'll throw in some tall genes. Um, and so I kind of did the filtering by that. Um, even when it came down to the sperm donor because of donation limits at the time of the uh, transfer, you needed to give your top three donors and in order of, and then they would literally just choose based on who was next available. So I um, prioritised those literally based on their birth date. So my top three. Youngest was top. Exactly, exactly. Um, With the egg donors, I actually ended up having to choose three of them. Um, The first one I chose... Let me have a think. She was involved um, in a minor car accident but wasn't able to go through the process, so she withdrew from the process. So then I had to choose another one. She. So uh, when, you're, when you're choosing them, they actually then have an egg retrieval post that, so you're not actually, like, buying an egg off the shelf. No. So, what? yes, so what happened was I was going through all this process throughout the year because mm-hmm. I work in education. The only time I could take a couple of weeks off work to go to South Africa was over Christmas. So the very first thing out of everything in this process I did was book my flights. 
yeah. which was a crazy way to plan it. And then when I went back to all the agencies, I'd say to the egg donors, right, are you available over these dates? Because wow, that's when I'm going to be there. So you, you book in the donors uh, a couple of months before, and then they go through all of their blood tests and counselling in the lead up to it. Sperm donor obviously can donate at whatever point. Um, the egg donor, it's done in live time, real wow, time. I didn't realise that. So, yeah, yeah. So they had to get our, our cycles coordinated. Yeah, so literally she would be in the clinic in the morning and I'd be going in the afternoon type thing. It was really... That's so fascinating. Well, I just never yeah. realised it was fresh. I just assumed you just kind of bought one off the yeah. shelf. So, wow. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no. These ones, these ones were fresh. These ones were fresh. Um, so, yeah, I got to the third one, managed to lock her in. The only stipulation was because I was going at the end of the year over Christmas, she wasn't able to go through it. At Christmas, so I had to be the week after, so mm-hmm. just the four years. So the poor thing was crazy on hormones over Christmas, and which I appreciate so much. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I got all that booked in a couple of months in advance and then just started going through all of my own tests and getting prepared from this end. But because I wasn't going through the retrieval, just the transfer, again, I didn't have all of the protocols happening before. It was just the post-transfer and what clinic did you use in Victoria for that? Uh, Monash. Monash. And Monash, they were yeah. liaising directly with the clinic in Cape Town? No, that was all no. very separate. And this, and this was a really interesting thing is that I coordinated everything. Um, so it was through me. Um, my specialist was familiar with doing this and working overseas. I think she was a bit peeved that I'd not I'll given her a go first. Um, I think a bit of her pride kicked in. Um, she made some comment at one point. I'm like, oh, okay. But I'm like, whatever. This is my journey. This is me guaranteeing a baby as soon as I can. It, I don't have a, the It's a little bit hard because if you've already resigned yourself to the fact that you can't have a natural yes. and then they're kind of chucking in that little nibble or hope that yes. I could have got you one. It's just like, I don't need yes. to hear that. I'm this far down I, the path. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is my choice it's not an easy one to choose because factoring in that it is completely anonymous Mm. so different to victoria there is no contact with the donors so during that time when i was making the decision again i I don't want to gloss over this it was a very i had to do a lot of thinking about the fact that my daughter may never know her donors yeah, and what that means and siblings and all of that. So that actually I had to come to terms with what that meant mm. um, for me, for her, for my grandchildren, you know, just a real big thing. I yeah. was doing my MBA at the time and I actually did an assignment on it. I did a presentation to the class on all of these things that my brain was thinking about and having to factor in and consider just to try and come to terms with it. Yeah, Yeah, because everyone is different when they are faced with these decisions and people take lots of different things into consideration. And for me, I needed to come to terms with it. Um, Some people have gone, you know, might have said, no, I'm not prepared to. It is a priority for me. To have access to the donor, I decided that in this day of modern technology, we would be able to easily make contact with siblings and hopefully the donors themselves by doing genetic testing, 
things like that. Um, so just kind of, I was, it's, it's a lot easier in my daughter's lifetime to be yeah. able to make connections with genetic family. So that was also kind of going on in the background as well. I, you know, I want to acknowledge that that is something that people have to think about when looking at, or no, they don't, they shouldn't have to, but it is a consideration for people that are entering in this. Yeah. I think even just when you're using a donor through, um, through Victoria and it is, you know, that they get access to them if they want at 18, even just thinking that side of, uh, what the implications are on any resulting children was probably the one thing that I didn't think about when I went into yes. the and it was only when I started the process and the counselling and she gave me some great things to, to read and watch that I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of it from the, the child's perspective. So great to have that early yeah. on and think about how am I going to deal with that and am I, am I okay with this as a concept? But it is a lot to yes. process that you don't think about when you think I'm just going to have a baby by myself. Exactly. My priority is to have this child. Um and admittedly, my perspective has changed over the five years since I conceived my daughter. So I, yeah, I have thought a lot and changed, and, and I have changed my perspective. Uh, okay. In what way um, has that changed? So I've been always very honest with my daughter. I've been very transparent. You know, I've I've always read the books to her. Yeah. We've always used all the language. Um, she knows. She knows where she came from. She says about uh, that she's actually got um, three mums. She's got me, her egg donor mum, and her godmother. And Aww. she's got two dads. She's got her sperm dad, uh, sperm donor dad, and her godfather. Nice. So she very much, she, they're not so much now, but there was a period from when she was about three, she was very much talking about her donors um, and wanting to meet them. What are their names? What did they right. look like? What do they think of her? So at one point she actually, I actually got her to, you know, what questions do you want to ask them? And we wrote them all down. I've, I've put it away in a, a keepsake box. And it was things like, um, oh, I honestly, it made me teary about what do you think of my name? Aww. What do you, I know, just a sweet, what do you, do you know I like to draw? Just really amazing things for her to be trying to connect with them on. Somebody once gave me some, uh, somebody once said something and it's like, okay, I am the mother of a donor conceived child, double donor conceived child, but it's her life. Yeah. And so it was just the choice I made was just a little component of my life, but my choices have impacted her whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've very much been giving her as much opportunity to talk about this as much opportunity to to figure it out, age appropriate, involve it, all of that. So, so yeah, so from about when she was three, it was very much talking about them, um, questions about them. And so I thought, okay, we need, I need to start making, seeing what I can find. Also then started turning in my mind. Initially when I conceived, it was like, no, we don't, I don't need anyone else in my family. I've got an awesome family. I've got awesome friends. We've got a great network. I don't need anyone else in the family. I need this child and that's it. But then over the years, as my thinking and perspective has changed, it's about her and her sense of self and her sense of family. And so, and I've I've been challenged a lot by the terms of mum and dad and because I'm her mum, but she's got the egg donor and she doesn't have a dad, but she's got the sperm donor, she calls him dad. Like these are all very 
um, these these simple words have got such different meanings and so many levels, and um, it will mean different things to her as it does to a lot of other children that are in a naturally mm. conceived family. Um, so anyway, that was you know this is all kind of going along along the side for me anyway. Um, so yeah, so probably about two thirds of the way through last year, I joined a Facebook group um, mm-hmm. that was for families who had gone to South Africa for egg donor, double donor um, right. conception. Yeah, and um, by joining these groups, essentially you're sharing your donor codes. And so I joined the group, jumped onto the Excel spreadsheet, and lo and behold, found another family that had used the same sperm donor oh wow yeah so yeah clicked on that 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 family's Facebook profile and they've got a photo we're holding this child spitting image of my daughter really it's just yeah 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 so made contact with that family and um we now have a fantastic relationship they've got a it's so my daughter has got a little sister she's um about 18 months old and lives in New Zealand so, so if we, the borders ever open up, you never know. You might yeah, oh, yeah, we do. We've got plans for them to visit here and for us to go there. We FaceTime with them every couple of weeks. We birthday, Christmas presents. My Sienna calls her my little sister and she that calls herself a big sister. So, yeah, and that's, you know, there's no, I don't define it as a half sister or a dibbling. For me, that is her sister. Yeah. And the other family has the same uh, philosophy as well and we're, we're both really wanting to encourage this relationship um, yeah it's something that I haven't honestly thought of too much yet and I think it's because my daughter isn't old enough to well she only understands the concepts of like more and up so you know, <laughs> and baby shark at the moment but it is something that kind of it is sitting in the back of my mind that I will and because I'm an only child not having siblings isn't something that I, I think about with her, but then it's like, well, she does technically probably have siblings and at what point do I do something about that or do I or don't I? And, yeah, I think that's future May's problem to have to think about. But there is a lot, those little ideas are seeded in their thing. Just yeah, and normal couples it, don't have to think about it, but it's just that extra element that we've got. And it was great when I made the contact, well, we made contact and the mum and I did a little FaceTime first and talked about our experiences and and um, about the sperm donor and other potential siblings there. And then I'm like, well, how am I going to tell my daughter? Mm. How am I going to now say the words, you are a big sister, this is your little sister, with knowing, again, the connotations around sisters or brothers, what siblings is, you live in the same house. Yeah. Or at least the you've same country. The same, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you've sort of got similar parents. Um, and so, but it was like every other conversation I've had around this, I just have to blurt it out yeah, <laughs> and see what questions she comes up with. And then we just figure it out together. Yeah. Um, and then I love that approach. Every, yeah, I think that's it. It's, it's, it's something that I learned really early on is that when you have a child in this situation, you need to start talking to them about it from day one, because for those first couple of conversations, I cried. I'm like, I can't believe I put this on you. I'm I'm doing this. All these emotions were coming out as I was reading all of those books. Um, And she's a newborn, but it gets easier to say. And then they don't know a time that they've not known it. Yeah. And so the more times 
I've talked about it and said it. So now for us, it's just very easy conversation talking about her sister. Um, and she was at a, my daughter was at a playground the other day and she was just randomly playing with another random child. And I went up to say, okay, time to go. She said, oh, she's a sister too. She's, oh. she's a little sister and I'm a big sister. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like it's so many, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah, exactly. And so I quickly sent a message to the other family mm. to say this just happened. So it's, so from, so this is why like my perspective has changed. Yeah. Because it's a very, I see it as a very beautiful thing, making those connections. And yes, I've checked with the clinic and they've said that the sperm donor has had his six live births. Mm-hmm. Um, can't have any more um but they've also given me some other conflicting information but I'm like okay so she's going to have at least half a dozen siblings there and then by the egg donor um I have through this Facebook group I have made contact with someone who's may who's used the same egg donor as well oh wow um, okay yeah so that that relationship is not as developed uh, but it's there and yeah. we'll see what happens with that but yes so I'm very lucky that I have found connections on both sides of her genetics Mm. Uh, and yeah hopefully one day I'll be actually find the donor and like you say given that most Australian and Kiwi people in this situation do go to South Africa you may find that a lot of her siblings that are out there will be not that far away to be able to actually build relationships with. So that's positive. Exactly. Well, isn't it? And that's what I what well, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. This other this other family um uh, lives uh two suburbs away. Oh wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very close. Yes. Very close. Very close. So uh yeah there's there's gonna be a lot of them around, which I think is really fantastic. We'll go back to conception. Okay, sorry, yeah. <laughs> you sort of jumped in, jumped in around a little bit. Yes. Very exciting conversation though. Um, so yeah. you were over in South Africa, you timed everything yeah. and were you successful yeah. on first transfer? Do they just give you medication? Yeah, first transfer. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, so um, I end up spending three weeks there. They normally recommend only two weeks, but because I booked my flights and then the egg donor said she couldn't do it straight away at, I had to delay it by an extra week. So, um, hey, I spent three weeks in beautiful Cape Town. Um, I had a wonderful friend of mine who I'd been to school with here who's been living in the UK and does volunteer work in Africa. At the start of the, the, other, the year before, she'd said to me, oh, I'm going to be in Africa volunteering towards the end of the year. I'm like, you're going to be in that, con- in that continent. She said, would you be interested in spending Christmas in Cape Town Aww. with me? When I go over to get a baby, she's like, yes, of course. <laughs> so I was very lucky that I got to spend those three weeks uh, with one of my oldest friends, bestest friends, who was the most perfect person to do that process with. Um, so, yeah, we had a lovely three weeks. You, you literally fly in. Uh, two days later had the um, your lining measured. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to give it a couple of days in case they needed to bump it up a little bit. And I think around that time the egg donor also went in just to have her scans to see how she was going. Yeah. And then so that was maybe on the Tuesday and then the retrieval was on the Friday. Um, so she went in. I don't think I had an appointment that day. 
no, I just knew it was happening. So the retrieval, and then I heard from the lab over the weekend as to how many had been retrieved and how they were developing. Um, so it's just like so Dana, normal IVF that, you know. Normal you, IVF, exactly, so exactly. So you could end up with a few embryos from it as well, yeah. Exactly. So I think oh, five, ten, we had uh, ten embryos in total. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think she had 14 eggs, 16 eggs retrieved and 10 uh, got through. Um, so I had two transferred. Um, I played the odds and uh, had two transferred. Were you um, hoping that it wouldn't be twins or you're hoping that it I would be twins? I was praying so hard I didn't have multiples. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I just cannot even comprehend having a mul- having multiples. Um, it just, even even from day one when, so one one great thing about it and is that I got to go into the lab on the day of the transfer and they showed me the five-day, like the videos yeah. of the embryos developing. And so the lab technician said, okay, well, we're going to recommend uh, number five and number eight get transferred. So I actually got to see them developing. So I've actually got the footage of Sienna. I don't know which one she is, but, you know, I say to her, you're one of those. You're either five and, or eight. Um, yeah. <laughs> in number five or number eight. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so, yeah, the, thankfully the odds worked in my favour and I only had one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but, yeah, so then it was I had the transfer done um, and – I had to wait. They recommend waiting two or three days before mm-hmm. flying because um, most of the people will be flying international. Um, but the next day I went out and did a fabulous wine tour of Stellenbosch wineries mm-hmm. and, yeah, I thought I thought I had to be relaxed. So That's that was a great. lovely way to do it. Enjoyed Cape Town. Yes. And, uh, yeah, flew back to Australia. Very limited people knew what I was actually doing. I've done a lot of travelling in my time, so it's not unusual. I've been to South Africa and Africa before, so it's not unusual for me to say, hey, I'm just going away for a couple of weeks. My family didn't know. Most of my friends didn't know. So I just came back from a three-week holiday. Um, And because because you, you know, a two-week wait when going through IVF is really only about a a 10, Mm -hmm. 9, 10-day wait. So by the time I had a couple of extra days in Cape Town and Essentially a day, two days of flying. That that took up most of my two week wait, uh, and then I went back to work for a couple of days, and then it was off to get the testing done. So it was a really good way to get through that part of the process. And then got the the wonderful two lines. Exactly, exactly right, exactly. So and then it just becomes a, in like you know any other yeah normal pregnancy and pregnancy and everything else was like standard for you. You didn't have to go through yeah, any. But- no, really lucky, very lucky. I had a good pregnancy. Uh, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes early, like about 19 weeks, but I could manage it via diet. That was fine. Um, I had a C-section. It's just C-section. the fact that you're old, that's all that comes down to, isn't it? Well, that's just I had it, it. Yeah, I'm old. You're um, old. Um, it, was, it, was re- it was really interesting, though, on that point, a lot of the tests and things you get done at the end of the first trimester, I really had to pinpoint to them that yes, the oven is old. That's true. But the yeah. barn is young. Yeah. So when they were sort of trying to figure out, you know, I'd ring up to have tests or testing done, and everyone would say, "How old are you?" Well, by that point, I was forty. I had her when I was forty-one. Um, I'm like, yeah, I might be forty slash forty-one, but the, the embryo, embryo not, the baby, yeah. is from a twenty-five and a twenty-six-year-old. 
So can we just not make automatic assumptions? Like what are you testing? Is it the embryo? Is it the placenta? Is it the uterus? Is it the, like, which part are you looking at to determine the risk factor? Because you can't just look at me as a 41-year-old and go high risk, high risk, high risk. There's a lot of the things were low risk because of the donors being so young. Did you find that people had an understanding when you were going through pregnancy with it or that was it any judgment or any times where you felt that you really had to over-explain things to people? Um, no, I was, I have been so supported the whole entire time. Um, I work at that time with working in a conservative school and I was a bit worried about how um, they would react. Uh, but everyone was so supportive and so wonderful um, they were very excited by the fact that I'd used an egg donor because I was single. They sort of assumed or understood using a sperm donor. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I was very um, open about using an egg donor as well, they're like, wow, okay, great, wow. Um, and bless my dad's aunt and uncle who at that point were mid-90s, early 90s, when my dad's cousin went to tell them that I was having a baby and the way I went about it, uh, apparently, bless them, they sat down with their cups of tea and had a talk about it mm-hmm. and said that, well, it's not the way that they know, um, but that Fiona's a good person and will make a great mum and that's all that matters. Oh, it's beautiful. And I'm like, well, hey, if these people in their 90s can accept it, then, Yeah. But what's actually really interesting is when I explain that I'm not genetically related to my daughter and they go, huh? Mm. So if they'll say to me, um, you know, is there any history of dairy allergies in your family? And I go, well, actually, um, I'm not genetically related to my daughter and the donors are anonymous, so we're not, not aware of that information. The first thing people do is they say, oh, sorry. And their, their instant thing is to reassure me that I'm her mum. And it's like, it's a really, it's such an interesting reaction and I never, I never know how to handle it mm. um, because they go, oh, it's okay, you're her mum. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. Do you see anyone <laughs> else? Like, just like, I'm like. Thank you for telling me that. I didn't realise. <laughs> I was a bit confused. And even though, yeah, and then, and they say, well, did you, they make it confused. It's like, did you have her in South Africa? No, no, I didn't sit over there for nine months just growing a belly. It's a very expensive back. baby if you did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just my feet up and had a great old time being a tourist. Um, but they 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 do, they say, Oh, it's okay, you're her mom. I'm like, yeah, I know. And it's just a really weird thing. And I think it's just because people don't know how to handle it. They're not familiar with well, they're aware, but they haven't really met so many other different family types. Yeah. So, you know, I and I and I say to them, well, they say, Did you did you birth her? I'm like, yes, I did. But even if I didn't, even if I used a surrogate with an egg donor, she's still my child. Mm. Like it's 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 about forcing people to acknowledge their, their not their bias, their perspective. Mm. of how a traditional family is. Still a relatively, I guess, new science and new concept in the grand scheme of the world. So I think women having children on their own is starting to become a bit more accepted. And I think, mm-hmm. there's, especially because we tend to be doing it older, we've generally got careers and they're a bit more, you know, it's not like like it was in the old days where someone 
did do something that they shouldn't have or let you down or whatever else. But exactly. it isn't such a foreign concept now, but still the concept of donor conceived even one or two parts, it's going to take a while for people to catch up. But I think COVID's probably going to uh, <laughs> expedite the amount of people going down this journey because who can date during this environment? So Exactly, exactly. And people who would have thought, okay, I've still got a couple of years before that ticking clock alarm bell sounds, well, they've lost two years. They they've lost two or three years. Yeah. And, and even for people like myself, I've still got embryos in Cape Town. Mm. And so I would not, if I wanted to, have been able to go back over mm. to access them. So for a lot of a lot of families that I know where they do have embryos overseas because they've used egg donors, it's and they've they've wanted to, they've wanted to continue their families. Um, and that's been put off all the time. So it's yeah, it's it's played a very interesting part. Is it an option to bring the embryos back to Australia or are there laws no. against that? Laws against it because the donors are anonymous. Right. So, um, yeah, you can't bring them into Australia. Right. Do you think you'll use another of your embryos or are you just seeing them? Or? <laughs> well, ugh, because I'm now 46, I'm old and tired and uh, all of those wonderful things. Um, I would like to hang on to them for another couple of years in case I meet someone. So just in case I meet someone, just in case we decide we'd like to have a child together, my preference would be for them to be full genetic siblings of Sienna. That makes sense, yeah. Um, So, but doing it by myself, no, no, no. I, I wish I had have started a lot earlier. Um, you know, there's a lot of I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, but that's okay. That's all right. This is this is just it. It's probably a great segue, though, of knowing what you know now. What advice would you give to anyone who is kind of, I guess, just has that little early consideration phase where they're thinking, maybe I could pursue this, maybe I couldn't. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give them? Well, I think definitely talk to your GP sooner rather than later. Find out what your levels are. Find out how fertile you are. Um, yes, I found that out at the age of 39. Maybe if I had, a, I don't I, I don't know if I'd had such low levels my entire life. Yeah, I've never tried to fall pregnant before. Maybe it was just a natural decline or maybe I've always had low levels. Um, that probably would have been handy to know mm-hmm. um, a lot earlier and to have realised that, yes, in my early 30s, I could have, rather than putting up with deadbeats, <laughs> um, just gone about it myself. There's so much hope that it will work out. <laughs> oh, my God. When I think back now, uh, like I'm so glad I couldn't fall pregnant to you because yes. I'm glad I didn't have a child with you. Well, there are some things that are so much easier when it's just you and the child, isn't there, and not that other person. It's like, oh. It really is. There's, there's actually not much, I think, that they could have actually contributed to our lives. Yeah. Um, the, the one concern, not the concern, but the only challenge is financially, mm-hmm. um, just having that extra wage, you know, it just really. Oh, it would be amazing. <laughs> it would be so amazing. Just but they could live somewhere that, else and just give us the money. Does oh, that work? Just give me. Just pay, help pay my mortgage. <laughs> Buy me a new car. Like, you know, my car broke down a couple of months ago, um, mm-hmm. um, dead, dead, dead gone, and I've had to actually get help from family to, to purchase a new one, um, which is just annoying. Mm-hmm. It's just annoying. Um, 
wonderful that I've got that family support and that they're prepared to do that so I can get a new safe car that won't break down um, but just annoying. But on the flip side, what if that mortgage is attached to a, what if that extra income is attached to a, you know, man-child that different parenting approach and all of that. So, no, I'm I'm very, very happy that I'm doing it by myself um, and I think Sienna, you know, Sienna is just thriving and doing so well at daycare and kinder and everything she puts her mind to. Like she's just going in leaps and bounds um, and I really do think it's because it's just the two of us Mm. it's so it's so intense the two of us um the conversations we have the the just the things that she knows about um her vocabulary her reading all of that I think it's because it is just the two of us yeah it's no distractions Um, no distractions I've she's for better or for worse, she has my full attention, as exhausting as it is and can be and frustrating. Um, you know, I'm very aware of those foundation years um, and putting through, putting that effort in and setting her up. Um, and I think it's paying off, yeah. Sounds it. So once you had her and you're all by yourself yep. with this tiny little baby, how did you find, I guess, the early days and what would you do differently now or was it exactly how yeah. you thought it would be? And Well, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know if I was going to do a natural birth or cesarean. I just personally knew I didn't want to be, uh, had, didn't want to be induced. Um, mm. As it turned out, I did. I had a Caesar and it was the best thing I ever did. I loved my C-section so much. <laughs> I laughed my way through it. I was so happy to meet her. My surgeon actually me to stop laughing because he couldn't sew me up at the end because I was <laughs> wobbling so much from laughing. I loved it every moment of it. Um, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has told me they love their C-section. Exactly. And and so, again, that's why I like to tell people because there are actually good experiences. I loved mine so much. I, I loved the whole day. I loved the process. I loved everything. Um, I was really, really lucky. My mum moved in with us for about four weeks afterwards. Yeah. So um, that was just a great experience. I recovered well from my Caesar, so I didn't have um, a lot of, like, limitations on things, but just being able to have that little baby bubble was lovely. My advice is when it comes to living with as a solo mum, drop your standards. <laughs> drop your standards as to what your house looks like. Drop your standards to... Oh, the food you're eating, the activities you're doing really just comes down to drop your standards as to how clean your house is Yeah, because you cannot do everything. Or in my Um, case, you buy a RoboVac. That has been life-changing. There you go. Mm -hmm. go. Yes, exactly, exactly. You just do things. You don't try and do everything because you can't. Yeah. And especially as an old mum, I'm like, I don't have the energy to do any of that stuff anymore. Like I just can't do it. Uh, I can't fit everything into the day. So um, my house looks like a four-year-old lives here and that's okay because she does and I don't have any other choice. Um, That's the way it has to be. For me, everyone, you know, I I get out and do a lot of things with her. We do a lot of activities. We go out on the weekends. We do a lot of things. And people go, wow, you're always out and about. Well, it's because if we sit at home, just the two of us, we'll end up fighting. 
Um, but she's a very strong-willed four-year-old and I'm a very tired mum. And so we need to get out of the house so that we can do activities. We can see new things and I can remind myself of the joy having a child brings. Because yeah. especially after the last two years where we've been in lockdown, we've been restricted to sitting on our couches, mental health challenges, all of that, it's like, right, Let's get back out and remind myself why I went through all of that. The joy of her experiencing things, developing her skills, laughing, singing, all of those things, just it's good. It's a good thing. This is why. This is why I had her. I think I'm at the beginning of that stage. So Lexi's now at the time where you can start taking her to places and have conversations and she can kind of communicate back and you can start seeing the joy on her face when she's seeing new things and pointing at things and it's the first few years are very much just in the trenches aren't they and then starting to see the end of it and it's like oh you're now a real little person and I can see the joy that you're talking about and what that's going to become as well that first year is just keeping them alive Mm -hmm. like let's not beat around the bush you're just keeping them alive and then the second year you're like oh wow you can now hold yourself up when I'm getting you dressed. I don't have to manhandle you as much. I can leave you for a moment while I go into another room and you're not going to die. You know, <laughs> there's all those those little things and you suddenly go, oh, you can occupy yourself for two minutes while I go to the toilet. Um, just little things like that. And then suddenly, yes, they start developing those skills and they achieve and you go, wow, you are good at. So finding out what she was good at, was amazing um seeing her loving swimming she does gymnastics she does all those fantastic things so seeing what she likes and what she doesn't like was just incredible um Mm. yeah seeing what brings them joy and their achievements and being so proud of themselves it's yeah it's fantastic I love it when they're proud of themselves it's so cute and when they clap for themselves like yay claps for Lexi (laughs) it just makes your heart melt it's like good on you well done yeah and I totally get what you say. You just look at them and you're like, this is why I went through what I did. You yes, are my exactly. everything. Yep. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's people ask me about dating or anything. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I haven't ruled out meeting some, like meeting someone. I haven't ruled out getting married or whatever. But I'm like, I don't want to give any of this up. I don't want to dilute any of this with someone else. So this has been amazing today. I've learned so much. I've, I guess I'd never really learned that much about having egg donor in the first place, but double donation and everything that you've been through. I love your attitude to everything. I think you've inspired me to definitely start getting a lot more curious about her potential siblings out there and preparing for the time when we're having those conversations and how I can best be set up for that. So thank you so much for sharing so authentically with me for all of that. I guess in parting, is there anything that you'd want to say to anyone considering this? I think, um, Definitely go for it. If it's something that you want, there are options out there. So we are very lucky to be women living now Mm. in a society that accepts this and where there has been the medical advancements that can support it. So if if having a child is what you want, then you don't have to stop. You don't have to say, okay, well, I've exhausted everything. There is always more options. It's just where you fall on that spectrum of making those decisions as to what you're comfortable with. Just go for it. 
What a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much for your time today, Fiona. I know that everybody listening to this is going to love your story and I can't wait for them to hear it. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.